Yeah, I don't know how to be funny. I'm very funny, but looks aren't everything. Um, no, I, I don't really use humor like we're doing here. There's a camaraderie. It's almost like a fraternity here among us as preachers and pastors. And I've intentionally, I didn't want to be up in this pulpit. I wanted to come down here and I want to be close to you. I've asked you to ask me questions because I want this to be interactive where I'm connected to you. And there is a proper place for humor in the pulpit. Spurgeon had a very witty humor. And one woman came up to him and said, I I think you use too much humor in the pulpit. And he said, woman, if you only knew what I've thought of saying but didn't say, (laughs) you would commend me for my (laughs) self-restraint. So there's a place for humor. And again, I, I, don't, I don't like a worship, I, I, I like a solemn, I like a reverential worship service, but I don't want a funeral service. And I, and I think some Reformed guys, it's just, I don't know, we need a little life in here. Um, and humor properly used. But if you go on my webpage and if you download my sermons and you listen to my sermons, you're probably not going to hear. You'll have to listen to a bunch of sermons before you get to a humorous thing. Uh, The format of this lends itself for that. It's kind of us guys and a few sisters in here. And um, so if you want to ask me another question... Go ahead. I, I do think some of the young, restless, and reformed guys cross the line with humor. And I lose a sense of the gravity of the message with some of your childishness. And I, and I would, only if they came to me and asked me what I thought, I would say, you are such a good preacher. You don't need this. It's almost like a comedian who has to use profanity. Um, if you were a real comedian, you could be funny without profanity. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a crutch. It's a double crutch for you. Take away the profanity, now be funny. And I, I would say that to some of my young, restless, and reformed younger guys. It's a little sophomore-ish, the way you're coming across in the pulpit, and it trivializes the message. Therefore, it's also important that when I'm out of the pulpit, there is a certain transparency about me as I'm talking to people, that they know I'm not a robot, and they know that I'm a real person. I mean, it was true in parenting. Um, I and my wife were very strong disciplinarians. But I had to make up for that by being a very fun dad also and to tickle the kids, and to play with them, and to wrestle with them, and take them on trips. Because I've got to to balance that. Because if I'm just as serious as a heart attack the entire time as a parent, I'm going to lose my kids. As soon as they go to college, they're gone. They're not coming back. They're going to go in another direction, if not before they leave. Because... I wanted our house to be the funnest house on the block. 
I, I, I didn't want this to be necessarily, and I understand the way I'm saying this, some neo-puritanical place where we're walking around all dressed in black and, you know, with candles and, and, and doing Gregorian chants to each other. Um, I, I, I wanted there to be laughter in our home. You, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. But that was intentional to balance the strict discipline and spankings and withholding privileges. It would depend on what it is. Um, I, th- th- this is my personal preference. I, I think first impression is a lasting impression. I think what you say first is very important. I would prefer not to have that in whatever I say before the call to worship. But that's just me. Um, I would prefer sincerity and humility. But I haven't been to your church, and, and, and when you say humor, I, I wouldn't start with a joke. Um, I, I think that that would be personally incongruent. It would be inappropriate. Um, I think you should tell a joke in the lobby after the church is you know, on Tuesday or, you know, whatever, for people to see that you're a normal person. Um, I I just wouldn't do it as I'm standing in the pulpit before the call to worship or something like that. That's just me. I haven't seen it, so I'm just talking in generalities on that. That's That's a great question. Thank you for asking that question. And that's not to say I haven't ever said something humorous before the start of the service, but it's usually... I misspoke something, and so people are laughing at me. You know, it's, it's that kind of humor. And the best humor in the pulpit is self-deprecating humor. You don't want to put someone else down. I, as a young man, I used, when I was in college and out of college, I was a very funny guy. <laughs> I was dangerously funny. <laughs> you wanted to be my friend, so you're not on the other end of my... <laughs> of my humor, because I know how to get a whole room of people to laugh at you. I then became married, and God gave me a wife who came from a serious family. She didn't like me to make fun of her, and especially in front of other people, <laughs> which made it funnier to me. <laughs> You're really tempting me now. (laughs) So, but I I learned, you know, she's not laughing. And if she's not laughing, I need to kind of tone it down. Then I became a pastor of a church. And I was, I started off because I've been a college pastor. And, And when you're a college pastor, you know, you kind of win the group over with some humor. 
Now all of a sudden, you're a senior pastor on Sunday morning, and you've got older women, and you've got older men, and the whole thing, and, and, and they're going through the struggles of life. I mean, what's a college student going through? You know, I got bad seats at the concert. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and so I got up in the pulpit, and I began to use my humor. I mean, it was electric. I mean, I had people roaring laughing. And then I, re- then I find out, either through my wife or through that person or someone else, the, I got the whole church to laugh at a deacon, to laugh at a charter member, to laugh at an associate pastor. And it was really funny. We would greet the visitors, and there would be like a large visitor. <laughs> you know, and I'd make some comment, oh, I see we have an entire group back here. <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, I put a lot of energy in the room and whatnot. Well, you know what? I tried to apologize to the guy. I couldn't figure out why he wouldn't fill out a guest card. Yeah, of course he's not going to fill. I mean, I don't, he, I've offended him. I've embarrassed him in front of the whole church. He's not coming back. And I've hurt the feelings at other times of older ladies even. And I'd have to get in the pulpit the next Sunday. Because my conscience is killing me. And begin the worship service with my confession of the misuse of my tongue. Me. And I finally just got tired of doing it. And it's probably not the best motive. I mean, it should have been for the glory of God and the edification of these people. I just was tired of having to confess my sin to start a worship service. It's just a bummer way to start. <laughs> and, and so I had to tone this down. Humor is like a fire. As long as it's in the fireplace, it's really good. It gets out of the fireplace, it's destructive. And so I was just too loose and poking fun at other people. So I had to learn how to turn this arrow around to point at me and to get people to laugh at me rather than me get the whole church to laugh at a person. That's a very important life lesson for me to learn. If this fits any of you, wear it. And so I had to put myself down and speak in terms of self-deprecation. And it just wears better with other people. And if you make a hundred people laugh, but there's four people who are hurt, you've lost. You've just lost. Thank you. 
All right, what, what was the question? I didn't get the question. I, I got the indicative mood. I need the interrogative. <laughs> oh, if you only knew what I'm thinking. <laughs> I only gave you one out of 20. <laughs> All right, first of all, I would never make a joke about Bible things. And I, 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 a couple years, 20 years ago, I went and pastored a big mega church, like five or 6,000 people, okay? There's a certain culture that goes with a big mega church, different than a smaller, let's say, reformed church. And I heard people telling jokes about St. Peter at the front gates and, the, you know, this and that and this and that. And I, I, I just, like, came down like a hammer. I don't want to ever hear again another joke in this church about anything that pertains to God or heaven or grace or whatever. That is over. And, you know, the second commandment or the third, whichever one's using God's name in vain, third commandment. Um, So, to answer your question on that. Now, there are times when I preach, I mean, there are certain... I think God is sarcastic, and there's humor with sarcasm. Uh, Job, where were you when we created the world together? I've forgotten. There's a few drops of humor in that. Um, Sarcasm, properly used, has an edge of some humor to it. Now, to answer... Yeah, if I've just preached a sermon on hell, I'm probably not out in the lobby, you know, making jokes. I'm, I, I don't really probably make jokes anyway. But if there are visitors, uh, I need to be approachable. I need to have a personality. I mean, I want to say to some of my Reformed brothers, we have a personality problem. I have one. <laughs> Meaning I have a personality you don't. I mean, I mean you're, just, you're, you're just stoic. Um, so as I'm greeting visitors, I want to be warm. I want to be gracious. I want to be outgoing. And I may say something to them that may have a drop or two of self-deprecating humor in it. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I, I think our Puritan friends may have gone a little too far in a direction at times. Um, I need a chapter and verse in the Bible, not page number with Edwards, you know, to make the point. Now, I've written a book on Edwards, love Edwards. I'm not against Edwards for him. I I think every group in history, you know, there's swinging of this pendulum back and forth. I, I think they may have gone a tad far. That's just my opinion. I mean, we'll find out one day. It'll all be sorted out at the judgment seat of Christ. But that's why there's conscience, there's freedom of conscience. If that's a 
send to you to laugh with someone in the lobby after you've preached on hell, then don't do it. That, that's, a, that's a conscience, freedom of conscience with you. I, I can't impose my thoughts on every person here today. That would be legalism. Legalism. Because you don't have a chapter and verse for that. that that's your standard of what ought to happen afterwards. Um, it would depend on what the sermon was and who the person was who came up and the circumstances of that and what was said before that. And I, I just can't make an ultimatum statement that I can't laugh on Sunday. You know, that, that's just gone too far for me. But thank you for bringing that up. And, and it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to know how to answer a question because you're, you're giving me a general scenario and now all of a sudden I have something in my mind and I'm answering this general scenario and, and I may be answering something that's far more strict than what you had in mind. And so, you know, forgive me for that and give me a little leeway on that because I haven't stood in your lobby after you've preached on hell and I haven't seen this person come up. And there, there is... There is um, there's a lot of individuality in the Christian life of reacting to individual situations and individual people that I just can't have this across the board. That's why even when I write and as I listen to other speakers preach and I know they're putting this into a book, I, I think, man, this, you're going to have to have three full-time editors for this guy. Because this guy says, always... That's not true. It's not always. This guy says, must. No, that's not true. There are exceptions to what you're saying. You are, you are painting the Mona Lisa with a broad paintbrush, about this broad. And you're just dominating people. Um, there are exceptions to what you're saying. And I have things sent back to me. That, that are edited. And you become very careful with your word choice. Especially all the time, always, never. Is, is that true or false? So, it's just like Proverbs speaks in general observations. There are exceptions to the Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. you tell telling me some kid grew up in a Christian home, never departed from the Lord? I mean, that's just like hyper-covenantalism. Um, there are exceptions. So, but I haven't been there, and I, I excuse me for launching on a deal. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. So, uh, suppose you've got a guy who's from Chicago, he's from the suburbs, this is the way he preaches to that particular audience. Mm-hmm. Now he's preaching uh, in Zambia or London. Or uh-huh.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a part of I became a Jew that I might reach Jews, and I became a Greek that I might reach Greeks. Um, I think you are wise to, within proper limits, to adapt your style. Listen, I, in, in the States, I think I showed you my calendar two days ago, just where all I go to preach. Some weeks, on Sunday, I'll be in a high church Presbyterian church. And there's part of me that loves high church Presbyterian. Now, I'm talking about Presbyterian in the States. I'll get on a plane and fly to another city, and I'll preach to 800 African-American pastors. And I literally have to have my daughter go buy earplugs for me. And I put earplugs in my ear as I sit on the front pew. I, I have gone from, you can hear the grass growing outside, to this is so loud I can't feel anything in my body. <laughs> to I then get on an airplane, and, and this is like from North Carolina to Dallas. I get on an airplane and I go to Grace Community Church and I'm preaching for John MacArthur. To the next day, they then take me to UCLA to preach to the college students. All of this, I mean, this is kind of almost an average week for me. I'm with Presbyterians, I'm with Baptists, I'm with Independent uh, Bible Church, I'm with college students, I'm with an all-men's thing. I just was in Northern Ireland. The best speaking deal I did in Northern Ireland was an all-women's meeting. They paid attention better than the men. Samantha, okay? Um, so I'm in all different kinds of settings. I'm with pastors. I'm with lay people. You, yes, you have to adapt. Right now, I'm using humor with you. I'm not, I don't talk this way on Sunday morning in a high Presbyterian church because I'm trying to get my point across. You're not going to listen to me if I'm using inappropriate humor. I know the boundaries, or I, I want to know the boundaries. <laughs> I go to Dutch Reformed in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Up where Joel Beakey is. He's coming here to speak next year. I mean, there are all different ground rules on effective communication. And some of them I learn by what you say to me after I've preached, you come up. I wish I'd known that before I spoke. Because I might have even pressed down harder on that. Not backed off. So yeah, Paul... I think we do adapt ourselves to the group. And yes, you do need to be yourself. Um, you don't need to become someone you're not. So it has to be within certain proper boundaries. But I, I'm happy being a Presbyterian. And that, that makes some people, if not in this room, other rooms, just like cringe and break out in a rash to hear me say that. Um, I've been a Baptist pastor for the last 20 years. Before that, I was an independent Bible church pastor for 14 years. And before that, I was a Baptist pastor in a college ministry. And so there, there, even within that, there's different effective communication with voice, length of sermon, type of illustration, way to make application... So I don't know if I'm answering your question. 
But yes, I, I'm willing to adapt. I need to adapt. I, I, I don't need for 500 people to adapt to me. I need to adapt to them within boundaries. And I'm also wanting to take you from where you are to where you need to be. But that's a process. Today is today. I, I can't get you there today. I need to start where you are and take you where you need to be. And some of that involves even in my delivery. I need to wean you off of. I mean, I, I know I walk into some churches. Some churches are silly churches. Some churches are solemn churches. Sometimes to the extreme on the opposites. And I, I need to, if I could, bring you into somewhere close to the middle. You're in an internship at your church. Okay. Right. And so you try as humbly as possible to, to talk to the elders privately about them. Yeah. And you find that it brings a, a bit of division in, inside the church to a point that you're no longer the, the pastor's favorite now, right? Yeah, you're no longer pastor's favorite. Yeah, you can, that, you can sense that there's something happening. So yeah. Deal with such situations. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're in that position, in that role, your conscience before God is simply to make this known to those who are responsible. To the elders, to the pastor. That's all your responsibility is. Is to express in a humble, loving way your concern that we have departed from biblical principle and to affirm, I'm a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And you turn it over to them. Because at, they are the elders. That he is the pastor. That's their... Now, now you, like a tennis match, you just put it in their court. That's for them to deal with now. So that, that would be my answer to that. Yes, sir. Editing of sermons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But when you have so much, Well, I I've I've heard MacArthur say he probably only preaches twenty percent of what he has studied. Um and you, you need to have limits because you don't want people to feel like they're getting a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. <laughs> You're just drowning people. You, you, Calvin said you need to be like a father 
is at the dining room table and you've got your children around the table and you've got a piece of steak and you cut it up into little pieces and you just feed it one piece at a time to your children. If you gave them the whole steak, they'd choke to death. So we who love truth um, have to be careful. I mean, no one can say everything that can be said on a particular subject, and if you have any kind of obsessive perfectionist tendency to you, and a lot of Reformed people do because we love detail, we love truth, we love facts. Give it all to me. I want every little nuance of, of this. And so we go through life just obsessive perfectionist. If you carry too much of that into the pulpit, I mean, it's going to be, you're going to have a Scottish revival. You're going to shrink the church. Um, you, you need to cut that up and feed people where they can chew it, they can swallow it, they can digest it, not just back up a dump truck and just dump the whole thing on them. They, they, they can't process this. It's the only time the entire week they sit in a room like this and listen to someone talk for 45 minutes. So, I mean, you need to give some consideration to that. Now, that's just a general thought. You, you, you ha- there's good, better, and best, and you, you've got to figure out what's the best. But sometimes some of the details are necessary to explain the best. But as you review your notes, sometimes the best thing you can do is streamline your notes. You, you've got to have margin. You know what margin is. For example, in my Bible, there, there's margin around the edge of the page. If the type went all the way to the edge, you couldn't read this page. You wouldn't want to read this page because you just filled up the entire page with type. You need margin. You need some airspace. The same is true in your life. I mean, you've got to have some margin for rest, for a Sabbath. You need margin with your money. I mean, you've got to have more money than what you spend. The same is true in preaching. I mean, you've got to have a little margin to add to your notes, to help people process what you're you're saying. And sometimes sometimes they don't need 20 cross-references. Three makes the point. Four, not 20. Now, here's the deal. We listen to John MacArthur tapes. Admit it. (laughs) And you hear him use 20 cross-references. He is so gifted by God that if he read the phone book, we'd take notes. (laughs) Would you repeat that phone number again? Oh, this is so good. uh... Can I be baptized? I I mean... He's just so gifted. Now, I try to be John MacArthur. You try to be John MacArthur. And we fall flat on our face because you don't have the horsepower to pull it off. You don't have the IQ. You don't have the command of language. You don't have the intellectual uh, ability. And you don't have the gift of speech. So, sometimes you have to trim it down. Sometimes, here's a fundamental principle in life. Less is more.
I'm sorry, he coughed in what? <laughs> Depth and richness in what? Accessibility in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how, how do I approach that in preaching? Yeah, great question, great question. And I would hope that you would have both. I, I don't like these churches where everyone's cut out with a cookie cutter and everyone in the church is a Ph.D. or everyone in the church has a third grade education. I, don't, I, I like the, the, the full spectrum of life. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated. This is where we have oneness in Christ. You know, we may be in our little cookie-cutter niches during the week out there where we work, where we live, etc. But we come to church, it's the full broad scope. Um, first of all, to begin with, the Bible speaks to every heart, no matter who you are or where you are. If I was lecturing, it would be different. If I was lecturing on quantum physics, if I was lecturing on political philosophy, if I was lecturing on um, financial um, economy, yeah, I, that would be tough. But to preach John chapter 3, to preach Ephesians 4, if you're breathing, you get it. And if everyone in the room doesn't get it, you're not clear enough. Now, R.C. Sproul, I remember when I was in class, told me this. You need to have a wealth of synonyms in your hip, in your front pocket. The first day of class, I had him for doctor of ministry. I'm, we're in there. We're just kind of like in amazement. We're in there with him and the whole thing. First assignment at the end of the day. We come back the next morning at 8 o'clock. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We've been in there locked up with him for like nine hours. He gives us 300 English vocabulary words. He said, you're going to be quizzed on these tomorrow. I want you to know every one of these. So... We come back the next day, and he gives us a vocabulary exam in English words. And his point that he was getting across to us is effective speakers and effective preachers would fall under that general category, have a command of language. And he said, you layer your words, your synonyms, so that some of your words are for that person with a third grade education. Some of your words are for a teenager. Some of your words are for a businessman. Some of your words are for a physician or a lawyer or a PhD. And you learn how to layer your words. I carry that influence with me as I'm trying to connect with people. Uh, Paul over here was telling me where he is on the mission field, there's a limited vocabulary. And he was talking about me as I was speaking yesterday. 
after I said false teacher, false prophet, I then said huckster, I then said charlatan, I then said con man. That's just kind of RC in my ear subconsciously to layer out my words because some of those words connect with some of the people. I'm just saying the same thing. Also, I've preached through the Psalms. I've preached through all 150 Psalms, verse by verse, consecutively. The most enriching experience I've I've ever had. And I learned the fundamental principle of the Psalms. Rule number one is parallelism. An A line and a B line. You layer things out. Um, that's an important thing to do because sometimes the A line is for the one with the third grade education. The B line, the restatement of the A line is now stated for the PhD. Where I, I, I keep them both mentally engaged with me. And if you, if, if you could come to my home and go up the stairwell and go into my study, the number one book, you come to my desk, the number one book that I use other than a Bible is a thesaurus, is a synonym finder, because I want to be a wordsmith. And this is all I have going for me, are words, because I'm, I'm not a, a dramatist dressing up like Joel. I, I'm a preacher, and I'm putting out words in sentences. So that's all I have going for me. And I need options. I need variety. I need diversity. So that's how I go about that. On one thing I'd say, listen, the Bible speaks to every man. We're not preaching something that's hard to understand. The Reformers talked about the perspicuity of Scripture. I already talked about that yesterday. Rome said the people are too stupid. We have too many people with a third grade education to to preach the Bible to them. We will tell them what to believe. The Reformers said, no, the Bible is the most understandable book that's ever been written. God knows how to communicate. And in matters of faith and practice, it's abundantly clear. And so the reformers translated the Bible into the language of the people and stood up and just preached the Bible knowing that it speaks to everyone who's there. And Luther would talk about it in his congregation. He had 40 professors and lawyers and doctors. But he also had, he called the, the handmaidens and the young people. And he was able to speak to all of them. So I just think that's a fundamental presupposition going into this. That's why I preach the Bible. (laughs) Because it's understandable. Obviously, they need the illumination of the Holy Spirit, but the limitation is not the Bible. The limitation is with the hearer. But in matters of faith and practice, I want to say it again, it's not hard to understand, it's just hard to swallow. Yeah, good question. Yes, sir, all the way in the back. How do I go about teaching what? Difficult, difficult doctrinal messages. I don't think there's any such thing as free will. 
I think only God has free will. And MacArthur would not say that man has free will unless you got one of his old tapes. <laughs> MacArthur would talk about human responsibility. And there's a world of difference between free will and human responsibility. A world of difference. But go ahead. You want me to explain that? How would I teach that? I think the Bible, I think the truth is its own best defense. Um, it's like Martin Luther said, you don't, you don't have to defend the Bible. The Bible is like a lion. You just let it loose. Um, you just let loose these truths. Now, as you come to certain, certain portions of Scripture, it, is, it couldn't be any stronger on the sovereignty of God and salvation. A blind man could see this. Um, at other times, you see the human responsibility. Um, how these come together, admittedly, there is some mystery, and to some extent, there's not a mystery. It's been explained to us. Um, I don't want to give up too much ground to mystery and not deal with the entirety of what the Bible says on that. So I think you have to realize that when you come to a profound subject, you can't put it in a sound bite. You, you can't put the answer that fits on a bumper sticker on the back of a car. I mean, you've you got to have time to unpack this. So you may have to teach a series. And um, I met with our men every Friday morning at 6 a.m. And I took two years every Friday morning at 6 a.m. And I began in Genesis, and I ended in Revelation. I took them through the entire Bible, every verse in the entire Bible, and the sovereignty of God in salvation. And, I mean, it took two years. When I first heard this truth of the sovereignty of God, I come from an Arminian background. Um, I come from a freewheeling Baptist background. Zero Reformed truth. And when I was confronted with it at seminary, it just stunned me. It made me mad, made me angry. I argued with professors, argued with students, argued with pastors. I hated it, didn't like it. This is stupid. Why, why am I sacrificing myself if everyone's going to be saved is going to be saved? I'm going back to the bank. I'm going back to an easier life. I mean, why am I doing this? I didn't realize how rotten prideful I was. And it took me two years to work through this, to get to the bottom of this for my mind, a turnaround of two years. So I, you can't expect in five minutes in a sermon to just undo all of people's thinking. It's going to take time. Um, so that, that, that would be what I would say. And, I mean, even right now, I mean, if you want me to explain the whole thing, I mean, I, I need to move here and, and, and just unpack everything to give you an adult answer. Yeah? 
Well, where I, where I, obviously you preach through books in the Bible and there's doctrine in every verse. Uh, second, probably the more heavy doctrinal you, you may want to do on a Sunday night, I'll admit that. Um, but for me, I just said, let's get all the men together in one room on Friday morning at 6 a.m. And I want every Sunday school teacher here. I want every deacon here. I want every elder here. And, and we're going to go through this. And if I've got the men with me, then I can, I can withstand anything. And I'm going to take us from where we are to where we need to be. Um, so I, I would try to have a smaller group. Now, I, I had like somewhere between 60 to 80 men who showed up every Friday morning. And I came prepared. And, um, but I, 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 I told them, I'm after you. I, I, I am influencing you. I want to change the way you think. I want to change the way you see God. Change the way you see life. There's no hidden agenda here. I want the Bible to reprogram the way you see salvation and life. I mean, do you think the Nile River is flowing north to south or east or, or or, or north to south or south to north. I mean, we need to know which direction it's flowing. Is salvation coming this way or is it going that way? Is it God-initiated or man-initiated? But you just speak to it. I mean, you, you, you've asked how. There, there's no way I can give a simple, airtight answer to a how question that's open-ended on doctrinal truth. You may want to start with a, an epistle like Romans or Ephesians, depending upon what the doctrine is you're trying to get across. I mean, you, you just chose sovereignty of God and human responsibility. I mean, there's obviously a million other, or that's hyperbole, uh, lots of other truths that you could be teaching. There may be another book in the Bible that you need to go to. It's a good question. Over here. If you're newly at a church, yeah, <laughs> that would be your last sermon. <laughs> that would be the first, the middle, and the last sermon that you would ever preach there. It would give you, a, as a farewell gift, an apple and a road map. Uh, <laughs> don't call us, we'll call you. Um, no, you, you work your way into it. I mean, there is some discretion, there's some wisdom involved in that. So, no, I, I, would, I would say you do not start there. I mean, you have to begin, you have to establish the authority of Scripture. That when God speaks, or when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And we're going to believe whatever the Bible has to say. And we're, I'm going to talk about tradition yields to the Bible. Preconceived ideas yield to the Bible. You, you've got to drive that anchor into the ground. And you, you work out. But I, I'm going to say this. Every church is at a different place. And, and so I can't give you a one-size-fits-all, where would I start? But I would look for common ground something that we can all agree on and believe in, 
and start from there. I think it's immature for Reformed guys. They have a phenomenal, we have a phenomenal capacity to meet someone and figure out where their background is, where they're coming from, and immediately go in conversation to the one point where we disagree. That is, that is the most immature thing I can think of. You need to grow up. Spurgeon said, after you come to the doctrines of grace, and as a young man, we, we, we're going to have to put you in a barrel and nail you shut for a year and then let you out. We, we can't even let you talk to anyone because you're hurting the cause. And there are so many Reformed guys that, that just want to start out. We, we agree on 120 points, and we disagree on one point, and you want to ask me a question. I'm still shaking your hand. And you want to ask me a question about the one point we disagree on. Are you a child? I mean, how often do you change your diapers? I mean, we, we're to be peacemakers. We're to be reconcilers. We're not to be the thorn in someone's side unnecessarily. There's no glory to God in that. Unless there's some rare situation of which I'm not aware. And when you show up as a pastor, and I know you've said that facetiously, if you start off with something like Romans 9, you know, you're too young to be entrusted with a revolver. You really are. We're taking away your driver's license. We're going to send a deacon to pick you up to bring you to church. You shouldn't even be allowed to be behind a steering wheel. You're going to hurt people. Yeah, some of the young, restless, and reformed, they're, they're shock jocks. You know what a shock jock is? It's the guy on the radio who's the, who's the host, and he tries to be as shocking as possible to get his ratings up. And you, and you get loose cannons in the ministry who, who want to be shock jocks. Well, anyone else? What time is it? I can't read the clock. All right, let me, let me tell you about one thing. Warwick, are you back there? Okay. I've got 10 minutes left, okay? I want to be able to continue to minister to you. Now, I live on the other side of the ocean, okay? So, can't do it. I wish I could be here. I wish we could do this like once a month. That'd be kind of cool. Because I ain't even gotten into my notebook, and that's like one of 10 notebooks I've got on preaching. Um... But one thing I do is I produce a magazine called Expositor. And in this magazine, it comes out every other month, I get world-class expositors and world-class professors to write articles with me on expository preaching. And expositors are readers. And I write an article in it. I write a couple articles in it every issue. John MacArthur writes an article in it every issue. I get like R.C. Sproul and Al Mohler and Mark Dever. Um, it, it has an international feel. I, I, I had Conrad and Bewey. I get men from Scotland, men from England, um, around the globe as I travel. And shamelessly, I wish you would get a subscription to it. Not for me, for you. 
And I've asked Warwick, I don't know that we can even see that though, Warwick, because of the light coming in. Um, but this is like the front cover of an issue, and I, and I go to every expense to make it a quality magazine. In fact, it's called a luxury magazine cover and paper because of the value of what's on the inside. This particular issue is on preaching the pastoral epistles. So as I contact men about writing articles, it all line, there's this clothesline, there's this central theme that runs through it. Um, scroll up and let's see what else we have. Uh, all right, go back to the other. Yeah, just so you'll know this, I have a web page, and on this web page, all my sermons are free. If in any way I can continue to be a model of exposition, you could listen to my sermon and gather some things. On here also, I have a podcast called Expositor Podcast. And it comes out once or twice a week, and I talk for about eight to ten minutes on expository preaching. One aspect of preparing the sermon, delivering the sermon, after the sermon, how to use commentaries, how to make an introduction, how to do a conclusion. A lot of the stuff we just weren't able to cover. It's free. You need to know about that. And where all I'm going, I'm, I'm taking a church history tour to Scotland and England uh, next May and take you where Knox and Tyndale and all these men are, if you ever have any interest in something like that. All right, scroll. Um, I write a little opening thing. This one's called Faithful Preaching, which is just the opening of the magazine. Uh, here's table of contents, and, you know, it's a very classy thing. I've got all these Rembrandt paintings in this particular issue. Scroll, yeah, here's the rest of the article. Go back, yeah, these are the contributors. There's me, there's MacArthur, there's Derek Thomas. He's from Wales, he's now in the States. There's Ian Campbell, he's in Scotland. Um, there's Austin Duncan, he's an associate at Master's Seminary. Um, I can't quite read uh, the other one. Oh, yeah, uh, Sean Lucas, he's a Presbyterian phenomenal mind scholar, pastor, and my associate at the bottom there, Dustin. So those are the contributors. Yeah, scroll through. Um, here's the Expositor podcast, and I mean, I'm, I'm getting Twitters while I'm here from people just around the world saying, oh. Thank you so much. It's so helpful in my preaching. Um, go ahead. Um, yeah, there's just the artwork is beautiful. Here's my article, The Costly Discipline uh, of a Godly Pastor. And what it is for us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness um, as pastors. I find many pastors are just undisciplined. Um, and so you can see what the pages look like. Keep going. Um, and it's kind of a lengthy article, it's about 4,000 words. Uh, it's very substantial, and, and it models exposition, because I, I'm taking First Timothy 4, I think 6 through 8 or 10, something like that, and I'm just systematically, it's even a model for exposition. You can take that sermon and preach it if you want. All right, go ahead. Here's John MacArthur on Preach the Word. It's a very substantial article, and keep going through that. Um, I allow certain ministries, um, I allow Grace to You, I allow Ligonier Ministry, 
Um, I put ads in there uh, for them um, because I believe in their ministries. Uh, Keep going. Um, And so uh, here's Derek Thomas preaching his warfare. (laughs) You need to read this. I mean, it's spiritual warfare. Uh, Keep going. Yeah, here's something from Ligonier. R.C. Sproul has written an extraordinary collection of hymns. (laughs) You ought to hear this. It's really good. Uh, Keep going. Yeah, there's rest of Derek's article. I'm just trying to give you a feel for this. I, I work with a ministry called Truth Remains. They have 16th century Bibles, first edition, Tyndale and Geneva Bible and uh, et cetera, the, all these rare Bibles. And it's interesting to get a crowd together. Uh, go ahead. Um, here's how to subscribe. Go ahead. Um, the rates, go ahead. Let's see, this is the Pastoral Epistles and the Office of Elder. And it's a very helpful article on godly elders in the church out of the pastoral epistles. Um, my ministry, go back, my ministry, just so you'll know, I, I, I've started a ministry called One Passion. I stepped down from my pastorate a little over a year ago, and this is what I do um, as this ministry, and um, you can go on our webpage and find out what I do. Keep going. Um, will you hold the rope? I'm just asking people to help support the cost of all this. Uh, endurance and gospel ministry. I mean, all of us need endurance and not give up. These articles are so well written. Yeah, keep going. Uh, here's the Reformation Study Bible that Ligonier just put out. Uh, a tremendous resource uh, for expository preaching. Uh, keep going. Um, yeah, that's the other side of the page of that ad. Um, I, I usually have an interview, and this is a conversation on preaching, and I, I can't remember um, who this one is with. It's hard for me to read that. Can you read it? Who? Oh, is it with me? It's an excellent article, okay? (laughs) I ought to charge you double for this. I mean, this is really good. (laughs) Okay, well, keep going. Um, There's your humble servant. Uh, Keep going. (laughs) Um, All right, Uh, what is this, Uh, the pastorals? Yeah, are the people, Austin Duncan, he he teaches at Master's Seminary. He's kind of a, a, really a, a side help with me. Go back, go back, go back. Yeah, this is an internet radio program. Uh, one of the men who helped me with my ministry is on my board, has started an internet radio ministry. He, 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 just, plays, this is, he just plays John MacArthur, Martin Lloyd-Jones, James Montgomery Boyce, me, and like one or two other guys, just 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's, it's pretty good stuff. And, and he's done this out of his own pocket and just like we need to have preaching around the world um, of these men. Keep going. Um, and then I've, I write these church history books and this is uh, kind of like a part two of the life and legacy of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and put godly men up. Um, and then, let's see, what else? Yeah, um, S. Lewis Johnson, this is someone you need to know. It's probably the greatest expositor you've never heard of. Uh, it's where I, I, I cut my teeth on Bible exposition, and my friend who's done this other ministry out of his own pocket has just had all his sermons transcribed over about 30 years, and 
They're on the internet. If you're preaching a certain passage, you ought to go to this website and just read the transcript of S. Lewis Johnson preaching. It's who MacArthur used to listen to a lot. Keep going. Um, And then my associate writes a a book review on a book. Here's David Brainerd's diary, uh, which is really helpful and makes you want to read that. And then, let's see what else. Um, Not certain what that is. Yeah, it's the back cover of the magazine. That's it. It's about 50 pages. And so, anyway, I I wish you would subscribe to it. You need to subscribe to it. Um, And in the States, it goes for like $30 a year, and I can try to drop the price down where I don't go bankrupt to maybe like 20 But I've got to figure out how to get it here which now costs me money, though you can get it electronically, but you have to get the hard copy as well. So I'm trying to work out with Warwick back here to just put like a box of 50 or a box of 100 of the issue and put it in a box and just send the box over and then Warwick helped me distribute it here. If you're interested... Give him your name and email address, and we'll figure out. I'm not even certain how we work this out. He, he's been subscribing to it, and he gets it in the mail. And we thought there's probably a better way. I was just in Zambia, and, and I met a bunch of pastors, and they said, well, can we do this? Can you just send us a box in Kenya? Could you just send us a box in, I can't even remember the other countries where they all are. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I... How do I Try to reach Africa for expository preaching. That, that's my goal. I, I want to raise up expositors. I want to encourage expositors. That, that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. But there's got to be a movement. And there's got to be an army of expositors unleashed upon the world um, and unleashed upon Africa. It will lead to other good things. It may lead to guys going to seminary. It may lead to guys going to Bible college. It may lead to young men stepping forward and saying to their elders, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Uh, It may lead to men who are already in the ministry realizing, you know, I'm not doing this. I I need to be an expositor. I I need to read this magazine and see what's missing in my ministry. So if you'd like to to receive it, I would love for you to have it. and it's, I don't know how to figure out how to do it other than just sending a box of them over here. But it's, it's, it's pricey. It's very pricey just to put that much weight in a box and send them over here. But wh- whatever break even is for me, or I'd be willing to go in the hole even just a little bit. I just would love for you to, to have it. It's, John MacArthur has said to me, is the greatest magazine in the world on biblical preaching. And I, I appreciate his endorsement. To that extent. Yes, sir. Yeah, to, to make the numbers work on this thing, I, I need for it to be hard copy. It, it's, it's, it's quite an expense to pull all this together, and I, I don't want to pass on this expense to you, but if you, if you buy hard copy, it makes the numbers work. I, I, I couldn't afford to get a drink of water if I just gave it away electronically. But you can get it electronically because we'll give you a code if you get the hard copy. 
But if you're like me, you may not be like me. I, I like hard copy. I, I like to hold books in my hand. I like to smell them. I, I, I like to write on them. I, I, I like to pick them back up again. And, fl- I, I, and I, I, don't, I have a Kindle, and I've got books on Kindle, but I don't know how to go from page 17 to I'm looking for something over here, and I know you know how to do that. I just don't know how to do that. I, I just like to be able to flip through things and quickly access what I'm looking for. I know where it is on the page, I can see it, and I I don't want to have to scroll through, take 30 minutes to do that. So that's the answer, why? And if I give it to you in hard copy, you also might hand it to someone to read, and it it spreads the message. Someone's phone's going off somewhere. I don't know why I'm the only person in the room can hear it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a product of my generation. I'm a dinosaur. I'm pre, pre-flood. I knew Enoch. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. We do have an app. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for reminding me of that. So we've got an app. Make it simple. Yeah. I've got it on my little cell phone. Okay? I'm cool. I'm hip. I'm with it. I'm already in the 19th century. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back issues. Well, I purposely, I've let Tim record this. I really don't let anyone else record this. Because I want you to get in your car and come here. There's a dynamic that's going on right now. I've intentionally made myself accessible to you with questions and answers and humor. There's a dynamic that occurs here that you're just not going to get on tape. In fact, you're not even going to be able to hear the questions. You're only going to hear my answer. And without knowing what the question is, some some of my answers aren't going to make sense. So, yeah, I do about 10 of these a year. I go around America and I come overseas, and um, I've, I've purposely chosen not to tape them and not to post them, so you have to come. So the only way to get the rest of what I have is either Mohammed comes to the mountain or you bring the mountain to Mohammed. I mean, <laughs> it's either you come to Los Angeles and go to the Master's Seminary either at the master's level or at the doctoral level, or you bring me back, one of the two. Now, it's not the easiest thing in the world to get here, and it wasn't easy for a lot of you to get here. I mean, they were telling me in Zambia, this one guy I met, it was unbelievable. He he drove three days, and one of those days was 24 hours just to get there. And I was bemoaning two days on an airplane you know, where they're bringing me coffee. So, um, you know, perhaps, you know, we can replicate this at another time, um, or you come to me. But I, I, but I don't have it typed. I don't, I mean, I just use a fountain pen, and I just have my handwritten notes up here anyway. And I'm adding a lot to my, to my notes, because I'm, I'm, I'm 
pushing on live nerves while I'm talking, finding out where you say ouch, and then I'll add some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I've written some books. Tim said I've written 20. I've, I've written like 24, 25 books. Um, and some of them deal with preaching. Um, I have a book called Preaching the Psalms. It's back there. It's the 24 steps and how to put an expository sermon together. I mean, I, it, that would be a phenomenal tool. And that's basically what I teach in January at Masters, is the mechanics of expository preaching. But I get to have five days, you know, to do it. Uh, I have a book called The Expository Genius of John Calvin. You have that on, available on eBay. The 34 Distinctives of the Expository Preaching of John Calvin. I have pastors who have Xeroxed the table of contents and scotch-taped it into the front of their Bible. Like, this is their checklist on preparing an expository sermon. Um, I have a book, Famine in the Land. It's really just kind of very entry level. Um, I didn't even write it as a book. I wrote it as a series of theological articles. And Moody Press saw it and pulled the articles together into a book. Um, The kind of preaching God blesses is, I've already talked about it. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 9 taking that one passage and kind of expanding it into a tiny little book on preaching. So I wish I could give you what what I've got. I mean, it's the result of I've been preaching for over 40 years. Um, For the last 35 years, I've been preaching three, four, five, six, seven times a week. Um, And as I travel around, I, I just preach at conferences with the best expositors I think that there are. And so I'm sitting on the front row learning, listening. Um, I've had access to John MacArthur, a high level of close access to MacArthur. And other phenomenal expositors, R.C. Sproul, James Montgomery Boyce, um, the best Baptist preachers in the last hundred years in America were my pastors, sat on the front row, listened to them preach. I, I really don't want to sound like a Presbyterian. I want to sound like a Baptist. I don't want to sound like an independent Bible church. I, I really want the blend, the best of these different streams into one river. So, you know, would love, wish I could pass on more. But either you come to me or I come to you, but it's, it's not, this stuff's not in print. be happy to. Father in heaven, thank you for this, this day and yesterday we've been able to spend together. I pray your blessing upon this group of men and these ladies who have come. For those men who stand in pulpits and preach the word of God week by week, Lord, I pray that you will um, come alongside of them and help them in what you have called them to do. Faithful is he who has called us, and faithful is he to bring it to pass. I pray that what I've said that of what I've said that it is of value and help, help these precious people retain that. 
what does not apply and is not helpful, help them to discard that. And I pray that you would raise up a new generation of Bible preachers who have both precision and power in preaching your word. Cause them to be on fire and to send forth light and heat as they preach. Father, we pray this in Christ's name.